Hi everyone, Griffin Marie here and welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Our conversation today will focus on a preview of first quarter earnings with a preview of the quarterly results from the Chief Investment Office, positioning recommendations and risk factors to consider going forward. I am excited to be joined today by Matt Tormey, an Associate Equity Strategist, Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So Matt, it's great to be with you once again and looking forward to our conversation today. Great to be here, too, and good morning, everyone. And good morning to you, too, Matt. So earnings season is upon us as quickly as ever, it seems, and you and the equity strategy team and CIO published your uh, quarter one earnings preview this week. Uh, what should investors be focused on as earnings reports start ramping up next week? Yeah, so first quarter earnings season is in its earlier stages, but it's definitely getting into full swing. So we heard from many of the big banks this week. So just to provide a quick update on where we currently stand, about 38 companies in the S&P 500 have reported so far, and over 75% of them beat sales and earnings expectations, while the size of the earnings beats continues to be very strong, which is in line with our expectations. So now to turn over to some of the key points from our earnings preview report and what we'll be keeping an eye on during earnings season. We're expecting to see close to 30% growth in the first quarter, which is higher than consensus expectations for around 22% growth that we did see at the beginning of the week. And if we look at the consensus first quarter EPS number relative to the fourth quarter of last year, this suggests that first quarter earnings would be 6% or so lower quarter over quarter, which we do think is too conservative. We've made significant strides towards defeating the pandemic, with about 48% of U.S. adults now having received at least one vaccine dose. Two rounds of stimulus checks were distributed throughout the quarter, and they've clearly had a large impact on consumer spending, as evidenced by the January and March retail sales numbers. And further reopening has led to some very strong economic data prints over the past few weeks, including some of the strongest readings on record for the ISM indices. So we do believe there are reasons to be optimistic that earnings should come in better than expected, and this has led us to bump up our earnings numbers. So now we do expect to see S&P 500 earnings grow 31% in 2021 and another 12% next year. With this in mind, we also bumped up our year-end price target to 4,400. And just one last thing I'll bring up that may be of interest and something else that we're going to be keeping an eye on is cost pressures. So right now, we are starting to see a surge in demand during a time when global supply chains are being pressured. And as evidenced by last week's PPI inflation data and the elevated level of the ISM prices paid index, costs are higher. And this certainly is going to have a greater effect on some companies more than others. But more broadly, we do believe that these inflationary pressures will be more temporary. In fact, and we actually do have a chart on this in the report, Um, Historical data does suggest that profit margins tend to remain healthy during periods when PPI inflation is rising because this usually is taking place when economic activity is rising and sales growth is picking up. Right. So, Matt, based off all this, can you remind us of the equity team's uh, intra-equity positioning recommendations? Have there been any recent changes to your team's sector, size, or, or style calls? Of course. So, no recent changes in the past few few weeks. So we still do maintain a cyclical bias in our sector positioning with preferences for consumer discretionary, financials, energy, and industrials. And we also still do prefer smaller size segments, such as small and mid-caps relative to large caps. 
But last month, we did initiate a preference for value relative to growth. And the reasoning behind that is that value earnings are closer tied to economic activity. And with our U.S. GDP growth forecast for this year and next, both above 6%, Austin Consensus both expect to see earnings growth for value outpace growth during this year and next. We also see a tighter correlation with value relative performance and interest rates. So if the trend for interest rates is higher, and our fixed income team currently has a year-end forecast on the 10-year of about 2%, then we should see value stocks outperform in this environment. And Matt, for equity investors right now, what are some key risk factors to consider over the next few months? Right. So we do believe there's going to be a few key risk factors that investors will have to keep an eye on. First and foremost are any developments related to the pandemic. And we started to see recently a slight uptick in daily case counts across the country as the reopening process continues to unfold. And we've even seen some parts of Europe strengthen some of their lockdown measures. But in the end, we do believe that vaccines continue to be effective in combating the virus, so any setbacks should be minor. Second, inflation. We did recently see some inflation data points coming higher than expectations, but we do believe these spikes will be temporary due to base effects when looking at a year-over-year measure. And it's important to note that we do expect to be entering a rising inflation environment as economic activity picks up, but the Fed is okay with this as long as we are seeing substantial further progress in the recovery and meeting their policy goals. Third is rising rates. However, we don't expect to see a significant spike in rates over the next few months, and a rising rate towards our year-end target on the 10-year would be a sign that the growth outlook is picking up. And finally, in the coming weeks, we do expect President Biden to outline the details of the second part of his infrastructure proposal, which will be focused on human infrastructure. And in this proposal, we do expect to see further details on an increase in capital gains taxes, which, as we've highlighted before in recent blogs, before, you know, there's just really not much of a relationship with equity returns and valuations. Excellent. So shifting gears here, Matt, it was a busy week on the macroeconomic front. Can you refresh our listeners on some of the key data points that were released this week? Yeah, so it was a pretty busy week for the economic calendar, especially on Thursday. So let's just dive right into it. Not much to take away from Monday. So starting with Tuesday, the latest NFIB small business optimism index reading showed an increase from 95.8 to 98.2. And one key important takeaway from this survey was that 42% of businesses said that they had a job opening that they were unable to fill, which is a record high. We saw that some businesses are reporting that enhanced unemployment benefits are a reason for this, as in some cases, people could actually lose income if they decide to take a job. Also, schools are still closed in parts of the country, and medical issues are preventing some from returning to work. On inflation, the latest CPI reading showed us prices rose slightly ahead of expectations in March and brings us to a year-over-year rate of about 2.6%. And a large part of the increase was driven by higher energy prices, and it's important to note that the large pickup in the year-over-year rate is primarily due to base effects. Turning over to Wednesday, the Fed released its beige book, which showed that participants are more optimistic about the outlook compared to the previous release, and some key takeaways from the commentary provided in the release included seeing signs of rapid economic growth, signs of strengthening in consumer spending, 
and further expansion of manufacturing activity. Moving over to Thursday, we saw that retail sales surged by almost 10% month over month, which was much higher than expectations as further reopening and another round of stimulus checks hit bank accounts. Both the Empire State Manufacturing Index and the Philadelphia Fed Index surpassed expectations, showing manufacturing conditions in both regions do continue to improve. However, although both industrial and manufacturing production increased in March, both surprised at the downside, but we did see a bit of recovery in motor vehicle manufacturing, which was a positive after last month's particularly large decline. On housing, the NHAB Housing Market Index increased by a point, which was in line with expectations and shows that home builders are still positive on sales conditions. And to wrap up Thursday, initial jobless claims came in much lower than expectations at around 576,000, which is the lowest print in the past 13 months. And finally, just this morning, we received data on housing starts and building permits, which came in better than expectations. And later this morning, we'll get an update on consumer sentiment with the preliminary release of the Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index for April. Certainly some uh, positive developments there, Matt. And looking forward, what should investors be paying attention to as they prepare for next week? So this upcoming week's economic calendar is much lighter relative to what we just saw this week. So there isn't anything I would particularly highlight until Thursday when we'll receive an update on existing home sales for March, the Kansas City Fed Manufacturing Index released for April, will provide us with an update on manufacturing conditions in that region, and we'll see if we see similar strength that we just saw this week from the Philly and Empire State indices on jobs. We'll see if the improvement in initial jobless claims data is sustainable. And on Friday, we'll receive the preliminary April readings for the manufacturing and services market PMIs and a couple more data points on housing with the March release for new home sales and the final building permits print. Now, turning over to the earnings calendar, like we mentioned and talked about earlier, earnings season is starting to ramp up after we heard from most of the big banks this week. So next week, we're going to have about 15% of the S&P 500 market cap reporting, and some of the larger companies that we'll be keeping an eye on across sectors include Coke, Netflix, Johnson & Johnson, Procter & Gamble, Baker Hughes, Honeywell, and a few of the airlines as well. Well, Matt, terrific speaking with you as always, and we appreciate your insights into first quarter earnings season, but thanks for joining us today, and we look forward to having you back on sometime soon. Thanks, Griffin. Have a great weekend. You have a great weekend too, Matt. And again, we have been joined today by Matt Tormey, an Associate Equity Strategist Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. As a reminder to our clients and listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office authors a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. These resources can be located on UBS.com slash CIO. For clients of UBS, you can also contact your financial advisor if you would like to learn more about or receive a copy of any of the publications and blogs directly. Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on iTunes and Spotify. Visit UBS.com slash studios to view the entire podcast offering as well as the UBS trending video series. So from UBS studios, I'm Griffin Marie and thank you for joining us. 
UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.